Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Hi, I'm Adriana Scori. I'm a hiking mom in the Canadian Rockies, Mama to Turner, and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick Eberly. I'm mom to Collins. We love being outside and exploring between our two homes in Seattle, Washington, and Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Today's episode is sponsored by Elements Outfitters, located right here in Calgary, Alberta, with stores also in Edmonton, Banff, and Victoria. You can gear up your mini explorers in the latest Patagonia kids wear. Our personal favorites at Kids Who Explore are the fleece buntings and zip-ups, the snow pile bibs, down buntings and jackets. Well, let's face it, we love all the items that help our kids get outside. You aren't going to want to miss their beautiful new spring launch with bright colors to celebrate the new season. We love the planet initiatives that are woven into each clothing item. There is a variety of wear for the whole family, Yes, even those rad dads. You can find garments for activities like hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, and more. There is even a whole Western line with the offering of other brands like Filson. Follow along on Instagram at Elements Outfitters or at Patagonia Calgary or Patagonia Banff or Patagonia Victoria. And next time you're in the area exploring, drop in and say hi to the friendliest staff you'll meet or shop online at patagoniaelements.ca. Thank you, Patagonia Elements, for your love and support with our inclusion and planet cleanup initiatives here at Kids Who Explore. You recently met Rook Minnie Hallowell on our podcast about choosing a life jacket or personal flotation device. If you don't remember, she is Kids Who Explores inclusion lead. She is a voice for breaking cultural barriers that prevent BIPOC from entering outdoor spaces. She is a wife and a mama who enjoys hiking with her family, and she's a lover of mushrooms, the kind you would try to spot in nature. And that's what we are going to discuss today, mushrooms. Rook, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Mushrooms were not even on my radar before you, other than to know that some growing on my lawn maybe could be poisonous. <laughs> Send me a photo, I'll let you know. Right? Okay, I'm going to now. <laughs> but because of you, I'm now like a toddler intrigued by every growing mushroom I spot. And Collins has this hiking book that I really love that names so many different mushrooms. So I'm trying to learn them. <laughs> oh, great. Yes, where did this interest in mushrooms come from? I got into mushrooms actually as I got into hiking. So when I came back from my first ever hiking trip from the Himalayas, I discovered I was like, oh, cool. I'm outdoorsy now. So I would go hiking every weekend with my husband. And I set this hiking goal for 30 hikes that year. And on our anniversary, my husband broke his foot in like five different places from falling down like two stairs. And he was like out of commission for like seven weeks. And I was not like hike. 27. So I was like so close to finishing. And um, I ended up like putting out this like random ask into the internet, which I would not recommend you do. But this guy came along with me hiking. And because we had no idea about anything in common, we just started looking for mushrooms. So it wasn't like awkward silence for like four hours. And in the process, I started taking photos and I started putting them up on this like Reddit mushroom forum. And then from there, I joined my local mycology society where I was on the board there at the mycology society of Toronto for a little while. And then I audited a few classes at York university and yeah, that's sorry. That was very long winded, but basically hiking, lonely mushrooms, studying. <laughs> I love it. What I think um, is so cool about searching for mushrooms on your hike is like a treasure hunt essentially when you go outside. So you never really know what you're going to find. And when you find one, it's like super exciting. Do you find it kind of like a hunt every time? Absolutely. Every, I always say this, every mushroom is magic because mushrooms are magic. 
Like there's so much fun and you will never stop learning. Like you can be the world's best mycologist and have been studying it for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And there is still new mushrooms for you to find. And there are still identification key points that will be just marginally different from something else. Or you need a microscope to be able to like fully ID it to down to the species. So I just think it's like one of those hobbies that keeps on giving. I just love how you jumped right into hiking. Like you didn't take it by a little bit. You just, oh yeah that was a that's a story for another time but would also not recommend going to the Himalayas for your first hiking trip right that's what I was thinking that's your first (laughs) that's probably a bucket list check for most people yeah I was expecting it to be like Instagram posts on mountaintops but uh I got my butt kicked but you know what here we are so now it kind of molded me into a better person yes you're (laughs) like I'm just starting big and then (laughs) I'll go from there (laughs) So do you have a running list of mushrooms you found or trying to find? How are you doing that? So I, I kind of take my mushroom identification. I joke around that I'm like a quote unquote amateur mycologist, which I'm pretty sure any real mycologist would read that and absolutely hate me. Like I'm sure they're like (laughs) unfollowed. but I I'm into the mushroom identification for the ID purpose. Like, I think it's just kind of, you know, Adriana, what you mentioned, like sort of like a, it's just like this weird little, like interesting hunt that you're doing and you find your answer. And it's, there's all these different factors you need to take into consideration and your location and the time of year and all of these various factors. And then you get this like answer at the end of it. And I think I'm like addicted to that sort of puzzle, I guess, if you want to call it that. Cause I, even though I do engage in some foraging and I do it very sustainably, if you're ever interested in talking about sustainable foraging it's another conversation as well but I actually I don't eat mushrooms it's like a texture thing (laughs) so I'm just in it for the ID that's hilarious (laughs) that you don't actually even eat mushrooms (laughs) like how do you you journal or log when you when you ID a mushroom like then what do you do once you ID it so I usually have um I have a couple different ID books it's always recommended that when you get started I sorry before I get into that question I'll just you know before you you get into it a lot of people will tend to use apps like iNature and things like that and in iNature you can have this sort of running list of things that you find right you can just sort of check it off the problem with iNature is that you don't really learn anything it just spits out an answer you put in a photo and it tells you this is what you found and I think it's really important to learn those different ID characteristics because then you're actually learning something and you're not just like going off of a look. And so with that in mind, I usually actually track my IDs via my identification book. So I'll just have like a little tick beside it or I'll add extra notes if I've noticed that I tend to find certain mushrooms in certain places at certain times of the year. I'll just like add that in there. I used to have a running list on Google spreadsheet and I just thought it was easier in my ID book. Okay. So can you walk us through then this whole process? So because is this true? I think I saw on Instagram as well that in 2022, you want to ID five new mushrooms. Yeah, exactly. Which sounds like a very meager goal, but it's uh, mushrooms are hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you said it takes a couple of weeks to be sure you ID it correctly. So it's like, exactly. what does this whole process look like? Yeah. So <laughs> the first thing you do when you come across a new mushroom, first of all, you can handle any mushroom. You will not poison yourself or get yourself ill. You never, ever, ever eat any mushroom that you find unless you yourself are a hundred percent positive of your ID, as in you didn't take a photo of it and I told you what it was and then you just shoved it in your mouth. Like you yourself know what it is. And then secondly, you also never ever eat a raw mushroom, even if it is an edible mushroom. So putting that aside, you can always handle any mushroom you come across. You can take a sort of photo of the front of it from the top as much from the bottom. We call it an upskirt, which is, you know, a gross term, but it's... (laughs) 
practice as they call it, <laughs> um, of the gills um, or pores or, or whatever is underneath that. The soil composition or what it's growing on if it's growing on wood and then as well as what's around it. So what kind of tree is it growing on? You know, is it a ficus? Is it a pine? All that. Each mushroom often will come with what I like to call their like tree best friends. So they'll like to grow in certain tree areas or certain tree species. And that can actually make the difference between an edible mushroom and a non-edible mushroom. So they can look the exact same, but one grows with pine and one grows, you know, with spruce, for example. So that's the first thing you do is you take all your photos. You can take a specimen. I don't encourage that because I think sometimes when people get into mushroom hunting, they get into it with the mindset of I'm going to eat everything I come across, which personally, I don't really have the tendency to like want to pick stuff up off the fourth floor and eat it, but some people do and that's okay. But you know, you have to do it sustainably. So I always encourage people to take as many photos, jot down as much information as you can. And if necessary, you can take home one specimen to you know, take on closer inspection because there's certain ID points, like for example, bruising, which means like when you handle a mushroom, will it turn a certain color? And, you know, those, those kind of factors are important when you ID. So taking one specimen is important. And then from there, you take your ID key and you'll just sort of go through your key. Each key is usually set up slightly different, but they're usually grouped into different families. So you'll have jelly funguses, puff balls, dark spore, light spore, et cetera. Um, and then from there, you kind of just keep going down the ID key. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. I have a story on this as well, but it'll be like, if so, then what? And you go down the list until you find what you're looking for. Have you learned this all on your own or did you take like a mushroom course? How do you? No, I learned it. I am self-taught. So I also, I often make a lot of mistakes. I actually just posted yesterday about a mushroom that I found four years ago that I actually officially ID'd yesterday because I had no idea where to start. I didn't know anything. I was like, what is this? Is this a plant? Is this, a... I didn't even know anything really then, uh, about it. <laughs> and then do you use that I nature after to confirm since you don't want to use it at the beginning or you, just... you can, I just, I would be weary of when you're starting out to do that because I think it becomes a bit of a crutch. I will, if I'm like really sort of like on the fence about my idea, I'll tend to post it to a, um, a mushroom forum and then I'll just like reconfirm it. So rather than being like, Hey, what is this mushroom? I'll usually post a photo, all my photos. And then I'll say like, is it a this or is it a that? And then, you know, people more smart than me will answer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite mushroom? Oh, I couldn't. I have so many favorite mushrooms. I think they're like mutation of mushrooms are so interesting. It's like where they like sweat or if you've ever heard of like a bleeding tooth fungus, they like quote bleed. uh, And it's like this weird gelatinous goo that they ooze. And I mean, if you're not a serial killer, you'll be like totally disgusted by it. But a lot of people are like, oh, it looks like a jelly donut. And I'm like, you're disgusting. Absolutely not. Um, but those are the most interesting because I think they're like very, they're like right out of a horror movie. They're like so weird. And I just think like if you were an alien and you landed on earth and you saw that, you'd be like, nah, I'm good. Right. <laughs> Could a mushroom just live forever if it wasn't for someone or an animal eating them or do they have a... No, so they do have a life cycle. The mushroom itself is the fruiting body. So much like an apple on a tree, a mushroom is just the product of the mycelium network underground. So not quite the same, but very similar is you have an apple tree, right? Like that is the plant. And then the apple it produces is the fruit. 
So often people will tell you that, you know, like, oh, it's so terrible to like pick mushrooms. And like, yeah, of course you should be doing everything sustainably, but like in reality, if you were to pluck it and put it back down, like it's, it's just like taking a fruit off of a tree, but there are mushrooms. I believe the oldest mushroom mycelium network is in Portland, Oregon, and it is a network of honey mushrooms. I don't know off the top of my head how old it is, but I do know that it is absolutely gargantuan. It's the world's largest living species because it is, it covers like some crazy square kilometers. Wow. I love your interest in this so much. (laughs) Another Instagram thing of yours that I found myself very invested in (laughs) was your attempt at eating pine cones. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what? That was such a, I'm going to try one more time because I feel like I, I feel like I got it this time, but if it doesn't work, I'm done. Like I'm done. You kind of like play squirrel and eat pine cones, but But apparently- So it is, it is, they are, well, okay. I'm not going to say they are edible. I think they're technically edible. Like if you were dying, I think you can probably sustain yourself on them. (laughs) If you have access to a fridge, it's probably not recommended. (laughs) But yeah, I saw, I followed the Black Forager on Instagram. If you don't, she is amazing. She is this uber, you know, nerdy and super interesting. And she's just so cool. And she does a lot of urban foraging and talks about, you know, the connection back from the black community and foraging. And so anyways, I follow her. She had this recipe. Hers, of course, turned out amazing. Mine did not twice. <laughs> so It's like Pinterest fail, but Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was pretty bad. I got a lot of comments of people being like, girl, what? It's like, stop it. <laughs> I'm cheering for you. I want it to work. <laughs> it was me sitting here eating my nature trash. <laughs> so is your family into mushroom hunting with you and is there an actual term for the hobby like mushroom id is there a name that you call it so first question absolutely not my parents do not understand it every time I like talk about mushrooms my mom's like oh gross put it down like why are you bringing that in the house (laughs) so no they don't they don't get it but that's okay and I think the term I think technically would be like mushroom foraging I don't actually know if there's a term for mushroom id I think maybe just mushroom id is is what it is like I I love the idea of foraging I just you have to be very careful in Canada because we are we have different laws so foraging does come with its own set of laws so you cannot forage on park property so not on parks Canada property or on parks Ontario or whatever provincial park you're on so it is illegal actually to take anything out of those parks so even um, our toddlers who are in this habit of you know picking up rocks and sticks you can't yeah. leave the park yes. with those so just so you know yes. That is an interesting thing we talked about with leave no trace is like even a leaf like that's exactly an animal's home so you can't take that leaf from the park yeah and and so like that's why I sort of I think fell a little bit more into the ID side of things as opposed to the foraging you can forage on I believe crown property and on private property not 100% sure about the crown property Um, I think it depends on if you're in the U.S. versus Canada but here I know for sure the safest bet is on private property with permission. So of course, because it's private property, you can't just like mosey over to someone's lawn and and take their mushrooms. You have to ask. But because of that, you foraging is kind of not super accessible for a lot of people, um, which is why I like to talk a little bit more about mushroom identification, because I think it offers people a little bit more opportunity to get into the hobby as opposed to like strictly foraging. Also, I'm not in the habit of encouraging people to like take their life in their hands. 
<laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of uh, lookalike mushrooms that can, I mean, we have, you know, for example, in Ontario, we have like angel death caps, which look very similar to say an agaricus campistritis, which is absolutely edible. And the other one could potentially kill you in a few hours. So my rule of thumb is never, I never eat white mushrooms. There's just way too much variability. There's just way too much room for error. I usually stick to, you know, some of the mushrooms are a little bit more easily identifiable in terms of edibility. And I, I just don't really love encouraging people to just like eat random things. Cause you know, best case scenario, you're going to be a little nauseous and like worst case scenario, you're going to have liver failure. And either way, I don't want to be responsible for that. <laughs> you said there's never concern with you touching it. Like the poisonousness is if it's digested. Correct. Actually. So one of the ID points that you have to look for is taste. And so a lot of people obviously assume that you cannot taste any mushroom and you shouldn't. I don't do this because I am not confident in my, you know, I, I'm just like not hundred percent with all of my mushrooms, but one of the, the things you can do with any wild mushrooms, you can taste it and then spit it out. I would not recommend doing that because I think it, you're just going down a dangerous path there. So just best to like stick to like the smells and then the, the physical notes of the mushroom itself. But yeah, you can touch anything. I was also very nervous to touch mushrooms, especially like ones that were bright. So in my head, I was like danger. <laughs> Because right. I don't know, I grew up watching like Discovery Channel and like you don't touch frogs that are like red. Like that's nature's way of being like, don't touch me. So <laughs> I thought that translated to everything. You nope, know, you can totally handle any mushroom. Just don't, you know, handle it internally with your organs. Okay. You taught me many things new today, but that's one of them because I can't also <laughs> not touch the mushroom. Yeah. And like, I'm always really careful with Zen. Uh, I teach, I've been teaching him often and early um, about like, just like family groups of mushrooms. So like, we're working on that. But then also when it comes to mushrooms that I try to teach him like not to pick them and always to like show an adult because there is a Facebook group that I think is worldwide, if I'm not mistaken, for any kind of mushroom poisonings because it happens a lot because a lot of people read about forging or we've been in lockdown they have nothing better to do and they're just like cool I'm gonna get in this fun hobby which is great but if you don't know what you're forging or you're not 100% on your ID or some random person on the internet told you that this is what oysters look like and so you grabbed a bushel of them you can get very very sick it's not a hobby to take lightly um, I always tell people start with the ID and then get into the forge because like it'll come naturally your confidence will come up naturally with that okay so if people do want to add this hobby to their list and they're focusing more on the ID what would be like step one two three kind of to get started yeah so step one I would say is to get yourself a solid ID book here in Ontario I use the Lone Pine mushrooms of the northeast in Ontario but you you can find a mushroom book for your province or your state or wherever. Always start with the local book and then get another two books. So they can be national, they can be regional. So like I have one of East Coast mushrooms as well. And then I have like a general one that kind of covers all of North America. And that's just to cross-reference some points. Also, for example, my mushrooms of Ontario book might be missing something. They usually tend to keep like the most common mushrooms. There are hundreds of thousands of mushroom species. There's no book that's going to cover all of them. So step one is to get a solid ID. Step two is I'd say join your local mycology society. Every major city has a mycology society. Most people don't know that because um, I guess if you're not into mushrooms, why would you? But <laughs> every city has a mycology society. They offer courses. They offer guided forays. They offer you know, resources online or just as a community that you can share photos and ask questions, which is always really important. Um, I know my local 
Mycology Society does a lot of lectures as well, which is really fun. And then I would also suggest joining either a Facebook or a Reddit group. Reddit R Mycology is my go-to. And that's just sort of a nice fail-safe for when you're IDing your mushrooms and or if you're really stuck and you have no idea what this is. And sometimes it can help you find a starting point. So there's a lot of professional mycologists that that operate in that group. So those are the top three steps. And then I would say before even considering any of those read up on how to sustainably forage. That is the most important thing. Even when you ID, it's always good to know those practices. When I started, to be honest, I didn't really know a ton about sustainable foraging. I, because I thought like, oh, I'm not eating it. So it doesn't pertain to me, but there's so much about just like culture around hiking and leave no trace and all of that. That's just so important that when you engage in a hobby like this, you become really passionate there's nothing that like bothers me more than when I see these photos of people come chanterelle season or come moral season or whatever, where they have like these like bushels and bushels of morels and they're like, whoa, look at my hole. And like, all I can think about is like, dude, you suck. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> and why would you advertise that? I just think it's like so important that we, we do things sustainably. And, you know, especially if you don't know what your idea is, don't take a bushel of it. Like that, it's not, that's not cool. And it's not fun. Right. So yeah, that's a very good message to send. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like the wildflowers too, right? Like everyone likes to have a bundle of fresh wildflowers, but it's, yeah, it's nice I, to leave them wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually tried to get into wildflower ID every, every spring. I'm so ambitious. I'll try, got my wildflower <laughs> ID book and like every spring there's so many, so many wildflowers, like good luck not to be discouraging. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> so many wildflowers. Definitely. <laughs> Yes. Um, so then is there anything else you want to share today with our listeners? Yeah. You know what, when, as I, as Zen's getting older and he's walking on his own and I don't know about you guys, but I don't have like the world's like, I don't have a ton of patience when it comes to toddlers and their very pokey nature. One of the nice <laughs> things that you can do is get into mushroom identification because while your toddler sits there and boings a twig for like 45 minutes, it's a perfect opportunity to get on their level and start investigating what's around you. Because as soon as you start looking, the forest is so alive and it might lead to like a different hobby that you're more like interested in, like, you know, like looking at bugs or looking at wildflowers or tree identification. I know for me, when I got into mushroom identification, I inadvertently had to get into tree identification because they're so tied together. And, you know, it, it kind of makes it more fun, I think, for you, but also as like a fun teaching moment for your child. Like I know with Zen, we are always doing our mini scavenger hunts and things like that when it comes to pretty like, you know, small ID. And I guess, you know, worst case scenario, if zombie apocalypse ever happens, we'll be able to survive. So that's a good skill. Exactly. <laughs> No, but that's so true. We always talk about like slowing down and being present and that's what our toddlers teach us. So that's such a good way to do that with him. Mm -hmm, totally. Can you remind people where they can find you to follow along? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Rookmini Hallowell and I post a lot about mushrooms and we're coming up into mushroom season. So my, my content is going to be heavily about mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> Since we asked you our final three questions last time, this time we want to end with giving our listeners a challenge. You challenge families to? I'm going to challenge families to partake in miniature scavenger hunts every time you end up getting out. It doesn't have to be about mushrooms, but I think it'll help you and your toddler and everyone have a little bit more of an engaging hike. Excellent. I love that challenge. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms. 
This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.